everyone. Good morning, wherever you are. It's Meet Me for Coffee, featuring a band called Weedus that I truthfully love. Um, we got the lead singer, Brendan, here. How's it going, man? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, do you drink coffee? I do. Um, I drink lots of coffee. We have a little uh, espresso machine. Um, I go like full espresso grind and as uh, strong as I can. Usually I have like two small cups of like a double espresso in the morning before I get moving. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Well, yeah, like you, you got to have energy for your day, right? And I feel like espresso like just injects it right into your veins. It's probably uh, a good spot to say that uh, I'm coming out with my own coffee line very soon. And hopefully everyone hears this. Um, I would definitely send you a bag. Uh, Sweet. It's It's been quite the last couple of years for your band. Um, we were talking about this before we, we punched the recording button, but I want to, I want to actually uh, get down to business here and talk about the 20th anniversary of the Weedis, uh, the, the first record. Uh, you guys are re-recording that. Yeah. So, so the plan was to uh, re-record the whole thing. Um, 10 original songs plus uh, another 10 additional 10 for a total of 20. Um, the 10 extras were kind of from a, like an alternate universe version of our first record that, you know, songs from over the years that we didn't do because they sounded like they belonged on album one, you know? Um, well, now all these years later, we have all these like this shelf full of, of old songs that were, that were sort of in the, in the image of that first record. So we uh, put those down on tape. Finally, uh, we're done recording everything. We're in the mixing process. Um, and it's just taken so long with COVID, you know, just pain in the ass. Like the guy has to like basically live here for a little while. And, you know, where our studio is, is in our home. It's all kind of self-contained. So, um, so it obviously took a lot longer, but the original intention was 20 songs uh, in 2020 on the 20th anniversary. We thought we had a great idea. <laughs> and, it is a great idea. Yeah. Well, COVID-19 had another idea. So, uh, you know, we, uh, we, we dealt with that, but, um, yeah, like I said, we got eight songs finished at the moment. They're all out on Spotify. Uh, half of them are, are re-records from the album, you know, and half of them are the sort of lost songs, alternate universe series. And we're doing them in these pairs. So teenage Dirtbag comes out, uh, with a song called mope and, um, you know, uh, Hump em and Dump em comes out with a song called FBSM. So we're doing this sort of like like partners, like matter and antimatter particle thing. Um, and once we finish with that, we're going to do the the full twenty on a vinyl reissue, CD reissue, everything. So super. And and the best thing about all this is that uh, you guys will own all the masters, or you do own all the masters, and have complete control over uh, what's going on with your music. How how good does that feel? Uh, it feels pretty good considering that the first original masters are lost. It seems um, we were never licensed for anything that would have required the multi-tracks, which was suspicious over the years, those requests would come up and they would just kind of fizzle out. And it was always, we weren't in control of the master. The record label was, <clears throat> and I realized that, uh, you know, even back in the day, I sent them five sets of, of master tapes that needed to be, you know, archived and transferred into future proof media and whatever came next, you know, but I don't think that was ever done. And I believe that, that, uh, those old transitional tapes are probably burnt by now. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if the, if the masters were actually lost, it seems like they are, you know, um, we, uh, we contacted Sony, uh, Rolling Stone con contacted Sony a few times to try and see, 
uh, if they could get to the bottom of it and there was a dead end every time. So, <clears throat> so it was almost like they just like basically just tossed it out or just lost it. Is this? Well, I think there was a lot of transitional media back then. Like okay. we recorded on these sort of old digital high eight tapes on a, on a, you know, before, after analog tape, sort of 91, 92, 93. And before Pro Tools, you know, 2001, 2002, 2003, that little period in between there. Uh, there were all these digital tape machines, right? And this stuff was built like shit because it was kind of, it was transitional, you know? It was like, oh, it's a digital tape deck, whatever. And, um, but uh, the, the, it was all that we could afford. It was all you could do it on because you couldn't couldn't bring a tape machine into my mother's house. That was like, you know, out of control. So uh, we we recorded on those. And when I handed them over, I said, you know, you got you to gotta make sure these go get archived onto tape, physical tape or Pro Tools or something else that's coming down the pike. And uh, I don't think it was ever done. So I, you know, I can assume that they're gone. Uh, hopefully one day someone finds those. Yeah. Well, I found the remnants of them. I had a, the sort of like penultimate set. Um, they were skeletal versions, drums, some guitar, some bass, um, the click tracks, a few vocals here and there. And from that, we were able to reconstitute them one, one instrument at a time, replacing everything. So it, it, we did have enough to get uh, a, a sort of viable, um, true to the original first album cut done again so. now, that must have taken quite some time just to transcribe those original uh those original records Ooh, i spent uh well so first of all i did it and started bringing tapes to a guy named mark at at um, uh dream hire over in uh over in queens uh <laughs> he was like man I, I mean i have a few of these machines so i'm not sure they work so he pulled them out of the garbage and got them kind of fixed up and we're transferring into Pro Tools and some tapes didn't work and some were glitchy, but we just recorded it, you know, with all the defects and everything. And we were able to dump them into uh, Pro Tools for a viable session um, that kind of reclaimed, I would say, maybe 60 to, in some cases, 90% of the songs from the, from the first record. Uh, they were all almost all missing the final vocals. And um, a lot of them were missing, like the tambourine or some guitar solos and stuff. Um, so we we kind of we kind of built them up again from scratch as best as we could, you know. And and, and it's so cool because like this year was the year that you guys finally went back on tour too, right? Well, in America, uh, yeah. Well, so we we did tour the states in 2017, 2018 with Mike Doty. Um, as his, we were supporting him. We were uh, kind of playing the Soul Coffin catalog and some of his solo stuff. Um, and then uh, uh, we went to the UK for uh, some touring in 2019, and we uh, did some more Doty touring in 2019. And then we got back here, uh, and the COVID happened. And out of nowhere, this past March, or actually it was more like February. We got a call from uh, from Art Alexakis from Everclear. He wanted us to come out and do his Summerland tour, and this kind of blew us away. We were like, "What?" You know. And then we found out Living Color was on it, and Hoobastank was on it, and we were like, "Do they really mean us?" <laughs> you know, like feeling of like, "What, man?" And then you know, I mean, we have been on the road for twenty years, just not in the states. So it was like. Um, 
we had the skills and the and the equipment and and the know how and everything to tour to do a bigger tour of of America, but we just hadn't been invited, you know. Um, and it was a perfect combo for us to just head out there with Everclear and and do these dates with those with those other bands and just people we really look up to and have admired since I was in in the case of like Living Color, like I mean, I gave up trying to play like Vernon Reed when I was fourteen, you know. So it's like it was a big deal. <laughs> it was like really crazy. Did he get the nerves going or what? Oh yeah, but then we, you know, talked to him a couple of times. You realize he's just like really interested and open uh, guy, and he's just super chill and just wants to chat about politics and the deep stuff. And he's 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 my kind of people. We had a great time. I, I feel that that that's the kind of person you are, which is great. I mean, I I, I saw a video of you. Uh, was it on BBC, like the the news channel or something like that? Probably BBC Politics Live, maybe yeah, talking yeah. about Brexit. Yeah, you were talking about it. And then uh, there's a couple of comments on YouTube. It's like, yo, is this guy on this show all the time? Because I'll have to start watching it. You know, they- <laughs> um, yeah, that was what they, they had me on there because I was like the resident uh, guest touring musician. And I don't think they realized that I actually had an, I have an EU passport. So I had a little bit more insight into like what it was going to mean. Um, and... You know, we, we I brought up a couple things uh, like the sovereign border versus the federal border at, at uh, in Northern Ireland, which is a huge problem. They have no idea how to fix that. Um, and I fully think that the Tories are maybe intending for some some violence to, to just be part of the scheme there. Um, and the uh, the other thing was that um, if you. Uh, have a, a trade embargo on on uh, UK bands or UK companies that make buses, right? You can't. You're not going to be able to get your carnet done properly in time. Let's say you're your UK band and you're gonna, you know, you have a hit in Sweden or something, right? You can't go. You just can't. You can't go and do business uh, unless you get an enormous amount of paperwork done in a very short period of time. It all has to be right. So. You know, and you're, it's, your, it's your first hit. You really don't know how to do that shit. Lots of people will tell you, well, that's a manager's job. But I know better, man. Like, you, that winds up being your job. <laughs> like, so so I, I was kind of saying that on the air in a very sort of practical sense. I don't think they were kind of – they weren't really, like, down to, down to talk that deep about it, I don't think. Well, we're talking about Europe and the UK. Where's your favorite spot to hit up when you guys go on tour or just if you were to go on a vacation right now? Um, oh, vacation, uh, Amsterdam, uh, Amsterdam is my favorite, not New York city. Um, cause I'm a New York native and I, I love it here. I'll never leave, but, um, uh, yeah, definitely Amsterdam. Um, it's a wonderful place. I think that the best kind of shows that we have, if we're not talking about vacation, uh, Scotland, uh, in particular, Glasgow and Aberdeen. We've had some great shows in Inverness, um, Carlisle, uh, and Wales. Um, lots of places in Wales. We we used to play a, a place in Newport, Wales called uh, JB's, and it was just every time it was just kick ass, and it was run down and whatever. But you know, th- that's where they are waiting for a good good show, and the enthusiasm you know makes all the difference. So. Um, yeah, lots of places in Ireland. We've had great shows in Dublin, and um, a couple times we we played uh, Galway. We had a great time over there. So yeah, it's 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 um it's definitely the north of England, 
definitely is definitely where where it's at or rather i should say scotland but um yeah the northern the northern uk well well definitely the cold beer and and the good music goes hand in hand and you guys are one of the uh big parts of that happening right so it's 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 pretty cool thinking about you know where you guys came from up to now and you guys are still going um you know the publishing part of teenage dirtbag i must have seen that on is it american pie i said i've seen it on many i've heard it on many many productions and films yeah Um, it gets around it the the movie you're talking about is actually called loser um, loser yeah which starred mina savari and jason biggs and greg kinnear and was um uh, oddly a movie that Everclear was actually in. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that, but, um, yeah. Um, and the only thing, the only regret I have from that time is that I never got to meet art back then. <laughs> Cause he's one of my favorite songwriters from the nineties. So I kind of like, you know, wanted to, wanted to meet him, but he was going out of a room when I was coming in during one of the, uh, 5.1 surround sound mix sessions. So I, I missed him by a moment. Yeah. How'd you know, how'd you know that this, the song was going to be like as big as it was like what, who picked out that song to promote it? Um, um, well, so that was, that had a lot to do with what we were doing in New York and the, I, I didn't uh, show it to anybody when I first wrote it. I kind of kept it to myself for a long time and was recording it and re-recording it on a four track with a drum machine and a bass and playing all the parts myself and just trying to get my head around what kind of a voice I would have when I sang it, you know, experimenting, kind of staying in the, in the laboratory for a little while. So it was about 94, 95, 96, 97. I was kind of still doing that a little bit and then started experimenting with musicians, uh, rehearsing with other musicians. My brother shortly joined the band and uh, during that time, I, I had a pretty solid relationship with Phil Jimenez, the co-producer on the first record. And he and I had been in a couple of other bands together and we really hit it off in the studio. So all this, all that time I was like showing him like, oh, there's a new one I did. Is this better? This guitar sound, whatever we think of this beat is what about the swing, you know? So we were kind of tinkering with it in secret for a while. And um, then when we started playing shows, we made CDs and we were giving it away. And that was a sort of a, a little bit ahead of the curve on on digital music distribution because it's funny, I worked at a, a company in Times Square that built VPNs, virtual private networks for Wall Street and a couple of other banks. And the two guys who ran that company found out I was in a band and they were like, yo, man, uh, so you got your digital rights all sewn up? What are you doing with that? And I was like, oh, you know, I don't know, man. He's like, well, you, if it's on a CD, it's, it's software. You know that, right? It's going to be free. There's no way to stop that. It's coming. And so I had this little kind of weird clue about, you know, in 1998, what was going to happen in the next four or five years. And so I operated on that mentality. Um, When we were giving stuff away, we were kind of trying to make it kind of viral on CD, you know, and it worked. Suddenly there was like people around the corner at our shows. Um, And then, uh, and then LimeWire and, and all that kind of ate into our sales the first couple of weeks, but it didn't really hurt the song so much. It just was like, it was still popular, but the label couldn't see it. And that worked out to our advantage too, because later on they let us go because of that. But being free in 2004 was a great time to be, have had a hit and be an independent artist. So it kind of, it was scary, but, and sort of no man's land, nobody knew what was going on, but it worked out for the better. And during that time in the 90s when we were playing shows, 
I knew that it was a, a, a kind of a strong narrative and a good story. And I could see people responding to it. People we didn't know were showing up. It wasn't fr- friends and family anymore. It was like, you know, randoms. Um, and I had been through a few record deal situations and I toured with Joan Jett and opening up for her and not Wheatus in another band. And I kind of, I was cynical on the process. So I kind of knew that it took more than just a good song that people liked. Um, so we were super cautious. And when Columbia records approached us, um, they approached us with the idea of you can produce your own record. And the guy who did that was this guy, Kevin Patrick, who, who was, uh, you know, he was like really serious about us being self-produced. That was, that was the, what distinguished him from other label people. Cause there were other label people milling about, but I would say the same thing to them every time. Well, I don't think we're ready for a record deal yet, you know, maybe next year. And that really kind of made them more like aggressive about it. But Kevin was the one who's like, look, this is really good. And I don't want to touch it. I just want you to be the producer and we'll just take it to Donnie Einer at Columbia records. And if he likes it, we'll go. And he did like it. And, and I said, well, give me one more chance. Give me 50 grand. We'll go into my mom's basement for, for three weeks. And in March of 2000, we re-recorded the whole thing almost. Um, and that's the final version that you, that you're familiar with. So that's unreal, man. Some pretty cool stories. Uh, I want to know the history behind your band name. How did you guys decide on Weedus? Um, I started calling it that before I had a band, before it was just me. Um, and it was some of like word that my dad used when we were kids. I think it's a devolved, like, sort of version of the word little. Um, and it doesn't make any sense. It's kind of a nonsense word, which is one of the reasons I picked it. I didn't want the, the, the word the name of the band to mean anything. I wanted it to be meaningless. Um, and it was just, uh, you know, if you take the word little, like my dad did, and then you could turn it into baby talk as you, as a parent does, you know, when, when we were little kids, he would say, weedle, 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 weedle. And that turned into, you know, nicknames evolving. So, um, that was what, uh, that was what he called us when we were kids, my, my brother and my sister and I. That's pretty interesting. Um, what are some plans coming up uh, for the band in 2000, late 2021, 2022? Um, well, we're going to finish this record. Uh, there's a movie that has been, is nearly finished. Um, that's about our sort of last 20, 20 years or so of our journey. Um, it's called You Might Die. And uh, there's a couple of kids in the UK who started following us around with a camera in 2010 made it. It came out. Okay. It's not, not very flattering toward me, but I, I didn't want uh, them to make a, a puff piece or anything because our, our touring life can be pretty grim and, uh, and rigorous. And, and, you know, I'm not always the most pleasant person to be. <laughs> so I didn't want to bullshit anybody. So, you know, um, it's all in there. Everything's in there. Um, yeah. So that's coming. And then we're going to, uh, like I said, finish the, the re-record of the 2020 version, which will probably be finished. I'm hoping to be finished with it before Christmas. Um, but Everclear keeps asking us to go to the West coast and all this stuff. So I'm not going to turn them down, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll do it as fast as we can. And then after that, uh, album seven, which for which there are, uh, three songs right now currently on Spotify, that we finished. Um, one of them's called Michelle that's on our live record. And then there's two other singles called one's called lullaby and the other is tipsy and they're both out right now. Um, and, uh, we're going to finish that record, put another eight songs or so on that and, and put it out and, uh, just get everything kind of reissued. I think 2025 for us is another goalpost 
in terms of like quarter century kind of dirtbag thing. Um, it's closer than it sounds. I know that's crazy, but you know, we lost a whole 18 months on COVID. So it's like, it's, it's going to come snapping back around faster than we think. I, I believe. But yeah, that's it. Those are the plans. Oh, well, we're going to the West Coast, like I said, with Everclear. Uh, we're playing New York City uh, tomorrow night with them, uh, a place called Sony Hall. And then uh, after that, we're headed over flying to the West Coast to do, um, uh, I think, about 10 dates with them over there on the West Coast. And then uh, and then we're going to wind it down. Would it be crazy if Jason Biggs showed up to your concert? <laughs> I don't think that wouldn't surprise me too much. I would be, I would be delighted, frankly, to see him. Uh, he's a funny guy. He's a very serious comedian, if you ask me, <laughs> or a very not serious comedian. I don't know how you say that properly, but well, yeah, Brendan, he, it, it, it's 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 definitely a match made in heaven with Everclear and Weedus. And this is, uh, I feel like this, this is going to go on for quite some time. This partnership, it's going to be pretty cool. Yeah, Art's like our bigger brother. He makes fun of us, calls us hippies, you know. <laughs> hey, he's got to call you something, and at least it's a, it's a good thing. We'll I like it, man. I've never had an older brother. It's nice. <laughs> Brennan, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for uh, dropping by. We'll have to do this again. I'm looking forward to the re-release of the record and uh, seeing you guys out on tour. Thanks, George. Thanks for having me on, man. <laughs>